Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 96 of the show. It is definitely another good one for you. This week we have a lot to get into. Uh, another exciting week of both NFL and college football. Of course, Major League Baseball, we've officially reached the World Series, so we'll get you caught up there. And uh, National Hockey League and National Basketball Association regular seasons are officially underway. So we'll take a look at the standings there and see how those look. But we are officially going to start off in the PGA Tour. This past weekend's tournament was the CJ Cup. And that was at the Congaree Golf Club in Ridgeland, South Carolina. It's a par 71. Distance was 7,655 yards. Okay, this event is normally played in Asia. Uh, previously has been played in Asia. Uh, somewhere usually in Korea, Japan, somewhere over there. Last year it was played in Las Vegas uh, for the first time ever. And this year they moved it to South Carolina. This was actually only the second ever PGA Tour event to be played at the Congaree Golf Club uh, there in Ridgeland. The only other tournament was the Palmetto Championship two seasons ago in 2021. Uh, I mentioned the yardage there, 7,655 yards, very long. Uh, The course itself located about 30 minutes from Savannah, Georgia, so it's in that low country part of South Carolina. It's on a 3,200-acre piece of property. The layout, uh, you know, because it's it's in South Carolina, obviously, if, if you've been to South Carolina, you know it's very beachy. And the layout kind of mimics those sandbelt courses that you would see uh, in Australia, something like that. But the field for this thing, I mentioned last week, absolutely spectacular. All of the top-name players in the world Six out of the top 10 golfers in the official world rankings were out there, and 15 out of the top 20 in those rankings will be out there. Um, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Matt Fitzpatrick, Jordan Spieth, Tom Kim, you know, just those kind of names are who I'm talking about. So it was a very, uh, very heavy-hitting tournament for for players, right, Um pretty large purse in this thing pretty much had the the field of of something similar to a major championship uh very good competitive tournament um you know it was kind of up in the air for a while as to who would win this thing uh but at, after it was all said and done Rory McIlroy was your winner with a score of 17 under par okay this was his 23rd career victory on the PGA Tour, and he did so with the help of his dominant driver. Okay, Rory averaged 323 yards off the tee during this tournament, which is the fourth longest average drive by a winner 
in the shot link era. So since 2003, fourth longest average drive for a tournament winner. Okay, it was a uh, a good tournament. Came down to the last few holes. Uh, Rory came out, played really well. Shot a five under 66 on Thursday, and then finished all three of the final rounds with a four under. 67, which was good enough to get him to 17 under. Solo second place was Kurt Kitayama. He won, uh, or he was second with uh, 16 under, so one shot back of Rory. His first two rounds were very good. He went five under, six under in his first two rounds. Then uh, third round is kind of where he fell apart. He only shot a one under. It's not really falling apart, but in the grand scheme of things, after you've gone 11 under through your first two rounds, a one under is disappointing and then closed with the same score that Rory did on Sunday of 67. So, uh, KH Lee was solo third at 15 under tied for fourth at 14 under Tommy Fleetwood and John Rom Fleetwood actually shot two over in this tournament round one and rebounded with a pair of, uh, five under 66s in rounds two and three on uh, Friday and Saturday, and then closed with a six under round of 65 on Sunday. So uh, if, if Fleetwood shoots even par on Thursday, he's just about winning this thing. If he shoots one under on Thursday, he would be tied with Rory. So Fleetwood, with the exception of Thursday, played some really damn good golf. John Rahm, anytime you see his name, you expect him to be up there. Uh, uh, Solo sixth, Aaron Wise at 12 under. And then we had a slew of guys, four of them to be exact, at T7 at 11 under par. Billy Horschel, Sam Burns, Lee Hodges, Brendan Todd. The only uh, other two guys to finish at double digits under par were Jason Day and Tom Kim at 10 under. So again, you see Tom Kim's name up there. Just an impressive couple of months for that kid. But like I said, it was a very good competitive tournament. The course was in great shape, looked beautiful, very challenging. Uh, Rory actually won the CJ Cup last year in Vegas um, as well. So he got back-to-back CJ Cup wins. And most importantly for Rory is that with this victory, he moved up to number one in the official world golf rankings. He did pass Scotty Scheffler with this win. And uh, Scheffler did not have a good weekend. He finished at T45 at one under. So that huge difference allowed Rory to move all the way up to the top spot in the official world golf rankings. So, um, no, you know, the way that Rory's been playing this year, he almost won the Open Championship at St. Andrews and uh, has just really been kind of dominant there the last half of the year. Uh, We just expect that from Rory. You don't win 23 PGA Tour events on accident, so uh, it's it's first time Scheffler hasn't been number one in a while uh, since, you know, beginning of last golf season. But uh, this week's tournament is the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Now, In the interest of time for everyone, I'm not going to cover this tournament because, frankly, it's not worth watching. Um, You'll have some scenic views. It is in Bermuda, so you'll have some scenic views, but there's going to be hardly any recognizable names. 
if you're the casual golfer, uh, golf fan, you will not recognize any of the names out there. There will be none of the big name players. So I'm not going to try and sell you that this tournament will be uh, anything but um, full of golfers that you do not know, uh, because that's exactly what it's going to be. So uh, I'm not saying it's not going to be competitive because it very well might be competitive and hell, we may even end up in a playoff hole in this tournament, but uh, just know that that is what's going on. I have zero plans on watching that tournament this week, so uh, we will um, preview the, you know, we're not going to, we'll recap it, I guess, a little bit to a certain extent this this tournament next week, but uh, more so we'll preview uh, the week after's tournament. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball and uh, talk about the World Series that we've arrived at. Last week, we talked about the ALCS and the NLCS and previewed those series. And I predicted that Houston and San Diego would win those series. Uh, Spoiler alert, I got one of them wrong and one of them right. So uh, we'll start off recapping the American League Championship Series. Not going to spend too much time on the recaps. Uh, I did predict Houston would win the series, uh, and they did. Uh, So game one uh, of this ALCS was the night after the Yankees beat the Cleveland Guardians in the ALDS, all right? So basically that game had been postponed, and they had to play the next day, Yankees and Guardians. Yankees beat them finished off the series, they then immediately flew to Houston that night in order to play game one uh, of this ALCS uh, the next night. So it didn't, New York did not have any time to rest. And in game one, Justin Verlander was absolutely on one for the Houston Astros. Through six innings, he only gave up one uh, one run, struck out 11 Yankee batters. All right, Houston only uh, needed three home runs to win this, though they didn't really need that many, but that's what they got. They used three home runs to um, a- end up taking game one. But that 11-strikeout performance by Justin Verlander made him the uh, MLB's all-time leader in postseason strikeouts. So pretty impressive stuff there. Game two, Houston Astros third baseman Alex Bregman hit his 14th career postseason home run to help power Houston to victory, which... That home run by Bregman gave him the most ever postseason home runs by a third baseman, all right? He still has a lot of time left in his career, and it doesn't appear that Houston's going anywhere in the playoffs anytime soon. Uh, game three, it was all Yankee, or uh, all Astros, rather, 5 nothing, And then game four was a close one, but uh, Houston ended up beating the Yankees 6-5 to five to sweep the series four games to nothing. All right, and uh, just a very impressive series by Houston. Their lineup is ridiculous. They can score, and I mean, it just it, it's it's frustrating because they're so good. But I mean, what 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 can you do? I mean, with that with that lineup, they're pitching. If Verlander's going to pitch like that, uh, there is not much you can do in that uh, area. But you know. The Yankees had a good lineup, but again, they went all in, you know, made some trades, acquired at the deadline Andrew Benatendi, you know, and and it just didn't work out. You know, they had the likely American League MVP, Aaron Judge, on their roster, and they still didn't win. Uh, your 
ALCS MVP was Jeremy Pena, the rookie shortstop. Had an incredible series. Uh, I think he hit two home runs, drove in, I think, five runs. Uh, Just uh, a great series for Jeremy Pena and helped carry uh, that Houston Astros team over New York. Now over in the NLCS, uh, this I predicted San Diego would win the series, and they did not. Uh, game one, very low-scoring, 2 nothing game. All Philadelphia needed was a Kyle Schwarber home run. Shut out the Padres' high-powered offense. Game two got a little interesting. All right. Uh, the Phillies pitcher was Aaron Nola, starting pitcher Aaron Nola. The San Diego Padres' starting catcher was Austin Nola. Yes, they are brothers, and they became the first-ever brothers in Major League Baseball playoff history to face off against each other as hitter and batter. We've we've seen that many a times in the regular season, but this was the very first time that we've seen that in the postseason. Austin Nola did not get a hit off of his brother Aaron. The Padres actually got down four runs in this thing, but they clawed back. They had a five-run fifth inning and ended up taking game two, eight to five. Game four, uh, well, game me back up. Game three uh, was a close one. Uh, Phillies ended up winning four to two. And then game five, uh, no, that was game three, rather. Game four, the starting pitching in game four for this series was absolutely horrendous. Both starting pitchers gave up multiple runs in the first inning. Uh, three and four were the numbers that each pitcher gave up. Neither one of them made it out of the first inning. Mike Clevenger was the Padres starting pitcher, and Bailey Falter was the uh, Phillies starting pitcher. Like I said, neither one of them made it through. They both gave up um, at least three runs. They both got yanked. It was the first time since 1932 that both starting pitchers got taken out of the first inning of a postseason game. So it has been a hot minute on that one. Uh Phillies ended up winning that um, poop show 10 to 6. And then game five was still in Philly because it's the 2 3 2 format in Major League Baseball. So game five was in Philly. And if you thought they wanted to go back to San Diego to play this series, you were incorrect. Bryce Harper had a go ahead uh, home run in the bottom of the eighth inning, which uh, ended up being the game winning home run sending the Phillies to the World Series. So Philadelphia beat San Diego in five games. Bryce Harper was your NLCS MVP, and he has officially reached the World Series for the first time in his career, Um, which that brings us to the World Series. We'll go ahead and preview that. That gets started on Friday evening this week. They've had about a week layoff almost, uh, kind of a, a long layoff, but Uh, Nonetheless, we have arrived the World Series this year, the American League champion Houston Astros against the National League champion Philadelphia Phillies. All right, a lot of stuff going well in the city of Philadelphia this this current time, but uh, this is a matchup, of course. If you recall, Houston was the number one overall seed in the American League, and Philadelphia is the number six or last seed in the National League. So it's the number one seed in the AL versus the last seed in the NL, okay? The Houston Astros, they have won all seven of their postseason games thus far. They have not lost. This is their fourth World Series appearance in the last six seasons, all right? Say what you want about the cheating scandal, 
They got caught, busted, whatever you want to call it. I'm not a fan of the Astros. Uh, I hate the Astros, but it is what it is. Uh, They've lost some players. They've added some players. They're getting young players to produce these days. Uh, The Astros are just a good team. And, you know, I hate to say it just like everybody else, but it is what it is. Astros uh, are in the middle of, I don't want to call it a dynasty, but four World Series appearances in six years. Uh, That's not an accident, all right? And um, they're coming in hot, all right? Now, on the other side of things, Philadelphia Phillies, this is their first World Series appearance since 2009, all right? So it's been a while since they've been there. They've played a few more games, okay? They uh, they swept the Cardinals in that, that two-game series there. They swept them. They took three out of four from the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves, so that's been impressive. And then they took four out of five from San Diego. So they've played some damn good teams to get here, and they've beaten them all, all right? So remember Houston, they had a first-round bye. They only they, they beat the, the Seattle Mariners. They swept them 3-0, and then the Yankees 4-0. So, uh, but the Phillies have had the more rugged schedule to get here. Cardinals are no easy team. The Braves, I just mentioned, they've won it last year. And then the Padres with that lineup, all right? So, the, I mean, they've they've put together some really good series wins, uh, they have nine nine and two is their playoff record. So they've they've played a few more games than the Houston Astros, but again, that doesn't really matter because they're both playing each other. And interesting fact about this World Series is that these two teams, Houston and Philly, they played uh, each other in the last three games of the regular season this year. So that final series that each team played was against each other. The series was in Houston. The Astros won two out of those three games. And since Houston hasn't lost in the playoffs so far this year, that means that Philadelphia is the last team to beat Houston this season. And that was the first game of that three-game series. And on the flip side, since Philadelphia has won every series in the playoffs so far to get here, that means that the Houston Astros are the last team to beat the Phillies in a series. They took two out of three in that final regular season series. So interesting facts there about uh, these two teams colliding here in the World Series. My prediction, I mean, I almost want to pick the Phillies just because they're, they've been an absolute buzzsaw in the playoffs. I think home field advantage is going to come into effect here. Um Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler have pitched really well. Uh, Bryce Harper has been hitting the ball really well. I think this series is is probably going to go at least six games. Uh, but then on the flip side, Houston, you know, Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez, you know, Ryan Presley on the back end of that bullpen to close out games. And then that lineup, like I mentioned, of course you have Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, uh, Jordan Alvarez, probably the best pure hitter in all of baseball, is continuing to just mash here in the postseason. And then, of course, they have a rookie shortstop, Jeremy Pena, as the American League Championship Series MVP. So they're getting production from all over. And I didn't even mention Kyle Tucker either. Uh, I mean, the Astros lineup is certainly better than the Phillies lineup as far as the batting order goes. Uh, pitching, I think Houston has the edge there too. So, you know, I... 
I'm going to take the Houston Astros to win the World Series in six games. Wouldn't surprise me one bit if it went seven games. And it also wouldn't surprise me one bit if the Phillies beat the Astros. They've done nothing but beat good teams so far this this postseason. So wouldn't shock me uh, if the Phillies beat the Astros. But my official prediction for the World Series is Houston in six games. So we will certainly check back in next episode and see where we are at in the World Series. But we'll move over to the National Football League and do a recap of Week 7 along with a standings update. As I mentioned, we are through seven weeks of the NFL season. We did have another good week of NFL football. Uh, Not quite as exciting as we've seen in recent weeks with uh, some of the games, but still good football nonetheless. Started off on Thursday night this past week with New Orleans going to Arizona. And after two absolute train wrecks of Thursday night football games in a row, we finally got something decent. Cardinals ended up using a couple of pick sixes uh, to beat New Orleans at home. Big win for the Cardinals, but that game was 42-34. to So after two weeks of basically zero scoring in a Thursday night game, we got points galore in that one. So that was fun to watch. Some other notable games uh, over the the course of, of Sunday were uh, Cincinnati, Joe Burrow throwing for almost 500 yards, uh, Dallas using that defense to stifle the Lions. The Washington Commanders beat the Green Bay Packers. Okay, that um, we'll get into to Green Bay in a little while. Most surprising game of the weekend was the Carolina Panthers, who traded away their best player. We'll get into that. A lot of news in the NFL this week, by the way. Absolute ton of news. Between trades and injuries, it, uh, it's a busy one. Carolina beat Tampa Bay. All right, They trade their best player. Uh, they have a third-string quarterback in, and they beat Tampa Bay and held the Buccaneers to only a field goal. So just a very impressive win there. And then you had the Seattle Seahawks thumping Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, in Los Angeles, too. Just uh, another weird game that you would not maybe have predicted at the start of the season. And then the second most surprising game, I think, was the Monday night game. Uh, Chicago went into New England and absolutely beat the brakes off the Patriots. Um, It was close for a minute, and then it wasn't. Uh, Chicago completely dominated that game. And uh, I don't know if they caught New England sleeping or if New England just really is not that good, which might be a a healthy combination of the both. But nonetheless, it was another fantastic week of football. Um, We'll we'll get into standings updates, and uh, I'll mention some trade news and some injuries that happened uh, as we go through this. Starting in the AFC, the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals are both 4-3 and three to lead that division. With Baltimore, they got some bad news. Running back J.K. Dobbins, he underwent arthroscopic knee surgery this past week. It's going to keep him out four to six weeks. That really sucks for him because he just got back from a torn ACL. Suffered a, that injury last year, beginning of the year. I think in a preseason game, perhaps and missed the whole year, and uh, has only played in a couple games, and he's already back under the knife. 
And with Cincinnati, I mentioned Joe Burrow almost threw for 500 yards, threw for 481 yards. Just another electric performance by Burrow. That was his fifth career 400-yard passing game, which now gives him the most 400-yard passing games in the first three seasons of a career. And he still has half the season left. So Cincinnati looks like they're back on track uh, after starting out slow. They were 0-2. Now they're uh, 4-1 and over their last five weeks. So Cincinnati's heading back in the right direction for sure. Uh, I think they are the best team in the AFC North if that offense is going to continue to play like that. The Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, they're both 2-5, and five, okay, to be at the bottom of that division. This division is kind of separating itself. It's known for being, you know, very close and kind of being a slugfest session most seasons, but uh, it feels like there is some separation this year. Cleveland obviously doesn't have Deshaun Watson yet. They also lost uh, tight end David Njoku. High ankle sprain does not require surgery, but he's going to be out for two to five weeks, so that's a big loss for them. And then Pittsburgh, their schedule doesn't get any easier. Mike Tomlin has never missed uh, the playoffs. or never He's never finished below 500. Uh, he's going to this year. Pittsburgh is, is not making the playoffs. Not an, a chance. Not in that AFC not with a rookie quarterback. Um, that that team has got some issues. Uh, Pittsburgh has now entered the chat for the number one overall pick in the NFL draft next April. Over in the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans are 4-2 and two to lead that division. They've been playing a lot better as of late. They've actually won four games in a row after starting off 0-2. The Indianapolis Colts are 3-3-1. Three, three and one. Uh, they did lose this weekend, and with that loss, uh, Matt Ryan actually separated his AC joint in that game. Uh, Indianapolis Colts head coach Frank Reich has come out. He said injury or not, he is officially benching Matt Ryan, and he announced that uh, former Texas Longhorn Sam Ellinger is going to be the new starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts for the rest of the season, or at least that's what Frank Reich said the plan is. So I loved watching Ellinger in college. I think he's going to do above average here in his second season in the NFL. Ellinger is going to be Indianapolis's seventh different starting quarterback under Frank Reich since he took over in 2018. That is just preposterous. That's almost two. That's two quarterbacks a year almost. Um, that that's not okay. But the Colts are still. In the mix in the AFC, and um, you know, we'll see how it goes. They're not in a tough division, so they can certainly get in. Jacksonville Jaguars two and five, not much going on there. And then uh, Houston Texans another week, another loss. They're one four and one. Uh, them and Pittsburgh will probably be duking it out for that top pick over in the AFC East. This has been a really surprising division to some extent. Buffalo, we knew they were going to be dominant. They're 5-1. They were on a bye week this past week, so uh, we didn't see them in action. New York Jets, they won another game this week. They've won four in a row. They're 5-2. That four-game winning streak is the first one of those that they've had since 2015, but that win was costly this week for the Jets. Running back, uh, Brees Hall, phenomenal rookie, been lighting it up. 
He tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Just horrid news. And then offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker, he had a triceps injury that's also going to take him out for the rest of the year. That's two key players on that offense um, that the Jets have really counted on. But uh, in order to help offset the loss of Brees Hall, the Jets went out and acquired running back James Robinson from the Jacksonville Jaguars in exchange for a sixth-round pick that could become a fifth-round pick if James Robinson runs for 600 yards. So that's a good trade. Robinson was getting buried on the depth chart there in Jacksonville. Hadn't played a whole lot over the last couple weeks, and he comes in and fills the role. Probably takes over as the starter in front of Michael Carter, but I do think that's going to be a 50-50 split. So keep an eye on the Jets. They're going for it, man. That trade shows you that they think they're good enough to win now, and uh, why wouldn't you think that? They're 5-2, and two, second place in the division behind Buffalo. Um, but Miami Dolphins are 4-3. and three. They won on Sunday night football this week, uh, beat that Pittsburgh Steelers team that I just mentioned. Two attack of a lower return, looked pretty good to start, came out guns blazing, and then kind of cooled off there as the game went on. And then last place in the AFC East, the New England Patriots at 3-4. and four. And it doesn't look like it's getting any better for them. Their, um, their quarterback situation between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, not really sure who's going to start. I would assume Mac Jones, but Zappi came in on Monday night, looked pretty decent. So we'll see who Bill Belichick goes with, but I don't think either one gives them really uh, a substantial advantage over the other. And then over in the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs are 5-2. and two. They just demolished the San Francisco 49ers this week. Uh, but it was announced this week that defensive end Frank Clark, key piece to that defense, he is suspended for two games for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Now, from what I read, the incident that uh, warranted this suspension occurred in 2021. Uh, but the legal proceedings have officially concluded, which is why NFL is now issuing discipline. So Chiefs are going to be without Frank Clark for the next two games. Like I mentioned, he's a big piece of that defense, so uh, we'll see how they look. Second place, the AFC West, Los Angeles Chargers, 4-3, and three, just a game back. Uh, they're hanging on. They took it on the chin against Seattle at home this week. Uh, and not only did they lose... Uh, they really got hit hard by the injury bug. Uh, Pro Bowl corner J.C. Jackson, who they just signed to like a $70 million deal this offseason, he tore his patellar tendon, so he's out for the year. And wide receiver Mike Williams got folded up like a pretzel, and uh, he sprained his ankle, high ankle sprain, so that's going to keep him out several weeks. So not only did they lose the game to Seattle, a game that they should have won, they lost one of their key players on offense and on defense. So uh, Chargers not doing great right now after that Week 7 loss. Las Vegas Raiders 2-4. and four. They had a, a win over Houston this week. And then the Denver Broncos, they're 2-5. And, five, and uh, they go to London this week to take on Jacksonville. Uh, honestly... I, I don't – I mean, Denver probably will win another game this year. But if they don't beat Jacksonville this weekend in London, there's a fair chance that Nathaniel Hackett, the first-year coach, 
he might lose his job, right? Like how you have Russell Wilson and that offense. How do you start the season? How, how do you start the season two and five where they currently sit? I just, I don't know. Uh, Denver is an absolute dumpster fire and just, they might, they're certainly the most disappointing team this year, I think. But moving over to the NFC, start off in the NFC North, all right? This um, this division, we had a bye week for the Minnesota Vikings who are up top at five and one. They were idle. They've won four games in a row, Uh a lot of their wins haven't been pretty, but uh, the box score doesn't um, ask how you got it done, right? You just get it done. Green Bay Packers, they're 3-4 and four along with the Chicago Bears, okay? Packers have lost three games in a row. Aaron Rodgers looks like an absolute shell of himself. He has nobody to throw to. And if you would have told – I don't think – the I, can, I cannot tell you right now uh, – in going into week eight of the NFL season this year, I cannot guarantee you that the Green Bay Packers would be in the playoffs after eight weeks, seven weeks. Had you asked me that before the season, I would say, yeah, they're they're going to be in the playoffs. But now, as we sit here, I don't. I honestly don't think they're making the playoffs. Uh, I think there's um, other wild card teams that are better than them. And I just, I don't see Green Bay making the play. I know it's Aaron Rodgers. I know yada, yada. But uh, if you've watched any of the Packers games this year, they are absolutely terrible. Just, they're not good. And they have the same record as the Chicago Bears, who are really, they looked good on Monday night. But, man, um, we'll see on that. Uh, you know, Bears, uh, they're certainly not making the playoffs, right? I mean, but they got three wins, which in the the NFC as a whole is really down this year uh, in comparison to the AFC. So, uh, you know, never say never for the Packers and the Bears, but my goodness. Um, the Detroit Lions are 1-5, lost four in a row, came down here to Dallas this weekend. Game was way closer than it needed to be, but... Luckily, the Cowboys pulled it out uh, in the fourth quarter. Got the win over in the NFC. Over in the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are three and four, along with the Atlanta Falcons. All right, which who told you know? If you'd have told me that Tampa and Atlanta would have the same record seven weeks into the season, I would have thought you're nuts, right? The Buccaneers look, they look worse than the, they, just as bad as the Packers, right? Two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and neither one's team looks good right now. Neither one of those quarterbacks looks good right now. Uh, Tom Brady has not been below 500 in his, like, his record. His team's record has not been below 500 this far into the season since 2002. Okay, so the Buccaneers not doing great. Lost two in a row. Atlanta... They're three and four. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know what Arthur Smith's game plan is every week. The Falcons get down by a hundred and somehow make games close by running the ball. I don't know how it works, but they are still very much in the NFC mix right now. Hell, the Carolina Panthers at two and five. 
they're tied with the New Orleans Saints, the bottom of the division. Top two teams are three and four, Bucks and Falcons, and then the Panthers and Saints are both two and five, right? So uh, the Panthers made a huge trade this week, which I'll get into in a minute. I don't anticipate Carolina's making the playoffs, but again, who the hell knows? New Orleans, they're two and five. You told me the Saints would be two and five after seven weeks. I just said, nope, you're nuts. Um, which that the NFL's just been super weird this year. I think the Saints are getting Jameis Winston back soon, so you know, keep an eye on that. Dalton has not been great. Uh, he's not. He looked pretty bad on on this past Thursday against Arizona, throwing two pick sixes. Hell, he threw more touchdowns to Cardinals players than Kyler Murray did. So, um, you know, it's it's not going well in New Orleans. They're going to have to get on the horse here and start winning some games if they want to make the playoffs. But again, that wild card, they're like a game out right now as it sits. So, honestly, who knows? Over in the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks are your division leaders right now. Again, if you'd have told me Seattle would be 4-3 and three leading the division after seven weeks, I would have lost a lot of money on that. Uh, but that is what it is. Tad bit costly for the Seahawks in their win against the Chargers. DK Metcalf, Pro Bowl wide receiver, he injured his patellar tendon. I've not seen an official diagnosis, but... It's going to keep him out for some time. No timetable specifically, which is quite concerning, but I don't believe it was torn. I never read anywhere that it was torn. So uh, Los Angeles Rams, they were idle this week on a bye. They're still 3-3. Three and three. The San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals are both 3-4. and four. Now with San Francisco, on Thursday this past week, they made the biggest news in NFL this week by acquiring Pro Bowl running back Christian McCaffrey from the Carolina Panthers. All right. The 49ers traded their second, third, and fourth round picks in the 2023 draft next April, plus a fifth round pick in the 2024 draft, which four draft picks for Christian McCaffrey. 49ers are clearly in win-now mode, and uh, that's a good trade for them. He's a weapon on offense to pair with Debo and that other trio of running backs that they always seem to have. So that's a good trade for the 49ers. Uh, the trade was made on Thursday. McCaffrey, of course, he went to Stanford, so he's you know from out there. He flew across the country from Carolina. He went to one practice. I actually think it was a half a practice and ended up playing on Sunday. Not only did he play, he led the 49ers with eight carries and looked really good too. Um, he, he looked he, he looked healthier than he did in Carolina. Uh, refreshed, like happy to be there. I mean, why would, you know, Carolina, you know, as in recent years has been like the purgatory of the NFL. Like you're just not going anywhere. But um, going to San Francisco, they were in the uh, Super Bowl last year or made it almost to the Super Bowl last year, uh, NFC championship game, right? Losing to the Rams. So uh, huge, huge get for the 49ers with McCaffrey. And um, we'll see how he does and if they can, you know, afford that contract and restructure it and do all that. We'll, I mean, we'll see. But 
McCaffrey on the 49ers uh, almost seems a, a tad bit unfair with how effective they are at running the football. But 49ers are 3-4, and four, so they're going to have to get some winning in at some point too. But again, just AFC is much more defined on who your, your good teams are. Uh, NFC has about three good teams, and the rest are just kind of mediocre to not good. So, uh, you know, this NFL season is almost halfway over, right? There's 17 games, so between weeks eight and nine would be your halfway point. And uh, we are going into week eight this week. So we'll have some more exciting games to talk about next week. You know, I'm sure uh, there'll be some plenty of good football. we got a good Thursday night game this week, at least on paper, between Baltimore and Tampa Bay. All right, that, that should be good. I told you Denver and Jacksonville are in London this week at Wembley Stadium early Sunday morning here in the States. Cardinals and Vikings, that has the potential to be a really good game. The Patriots and Jets, if the Jets can win that one, uh, they'll be 6-2. and two. I mean, that's, that's outrageous. And then the 49ers and Rams, I mentioned that NFC Championship game from a year ago. We've got a rematch of that this week. Uh, Packers and Bills. You know, beginning of the season, that looked like probably one of the better games on the slate. Bills now are 11.5-point favorites. Uh, that's that's pretty unheard of. And then on Monday, the Monday night football game this week on Halloween, NFL was kind enough to grace us with two orange teams on Halloween. How about that? Cincinnati and Cleveland duke it out on Monday night football this week. So, We'll have some good football um, to discuss next week. And, um, you know, again, anything goes in the NFL these days. It just it seems like we get surprised with something every week in this league, which uh, is, is part of the draw. But we will certainly check back in next week and see how week eight unfolded. But we'll move over to the NCAA and do some college football talk. We are through uh, week eight of the college football season. And we are now officially one week away from the first set of college football playoff rankings to be released. And those rankings are very similar uh, to the AP Top 25 rankings that we discuss every week on here. So uh, this will be the last episode that we'll discuss the AP Top 25 poll. We'll move uh, into talking about the college football playoff rankings because they do change every week. Uh, those are ranked by the playoff committee, and those are what matter when it comes to picking the national champion contenders and uh, the playoff games. So uh, this will be the last week we do the AP Top 25 uh, poll, but it was another good week of college football, some some good games, some teams won that maybe you didn't necessarily think would win, um, another impressive victory for uh, some teams, and we'll just dive right into this this rankings update. The top team in the country, and again, this is the AP Top 25 poll. Number one, Georgia. Uh, they, you know, uh, more on Georgia. You know, I think they were on a bye week this week, didn't play. So, you know, I'm not entirely sold on Georgia with a couple of the close games they've had. Number... Two, Ohio State. I think they've played like the best team in the country. So uh, I would 
probably say they're number one at this point for me, but they're ranked number two. C.J. Stroud continues to make a case for uh, not only the Heisman Trophy, but to be the top overall pick. Ohio State's got a big one this week uh, in State College against uh, Penn State, so uh, keep an eye on that. Number three, Tennessee. They're 7-0. and uh, They had a powder puff game this week against Tennessee Martin, I believe, so uh, here they sit, uh, 7-0. and Got a ranked game against Kentucky. Number four is Michigan. They got their in-state rival, Michigan State, this week. You know, uh, I wouldn't wouldn't expect State to compete in that one, but uh, Michigan, uh, you know, has looked pretty impressive in some games, and and they're they're putting up a lot of points. So they're going to continue to be ranked until they lose. Number five is Clemson. They squeaked by Syracuse uh, in this game. Syracuse is ranked, but, man, that was a lot closer than it probably should have been there for Clemson. I'm not sold on them as a playoff team or anything close to that. So um, keep an eye on that. Number six, Alabama. They have a tough one against LSU this week. Uh, They had a pretty good win over Mississippi State, who can be kind of feisty for some SEC teams. Alabama ended up taking care of them at home. Number seven, TCU, another impressive ranked victory against Kansas State. I believe it was their fourth ranked win this year. Uh, TCU keeps proving that they are every bit as legit as, you know, the ranking indicates. And at this point, they're on the fast track to uh, winning the Big 12 and potentially earning a playoff berth uh, with how some of these other games turn out over the next, uh, you know, four or five weeks. Um, number eight is Oregon, right? Um, they had a big game against US, uh, UCLA this week, and they ended up beating UCLA in that ranked matchup. Uh, so Oregon jumps up a couple spots to eight, looking again like, a good representative out of the Pac-12. Number nine, Oklahoma State. They're up two spots. They beat my beloved Texas Longhorns this past week at home in Stillwater. Now, I do have to discuss this game. Oklahoma State scored a touchdown with uh, late in the game. I want to say it was a couple minutes left to, to win by a touchdown. And um, if you look at the box score of this game, Check out the penalties, all right? It's worth your time because I'm not making this up when I tell you. Texas had 14 penalties for 119 yards in the game, which both of those are absurd and need to come down in order for them to win a game. I get it. But Oklahoma State had zero penalties all game. And if you're telling me that a football team played a game with no penalties – in a tough, fierce, competitive game such as that one, um, you're full of shit. Okay, and that's I'm not I'm not saying that Texas lost because Oklahoma State didn't get a penalty, but what I'm telling you is that Texas lost and Oklahoma State did not get a penalty at all in that game. So I, I certainly think that played a role into why Oklahoma State was able to to win over the course of the game because Texas was up two scores 
you know, at, at one point and uh, you keep getting penalized, taking yourself out of field position, you know, Oklahoma State's going to come back if they're not getting penalties. So I don't know who the Big 12 refs need to you know talk to, but uh, they need to call some penalties, you know, on both teams. It's It's football, people hold, people, you know, it's whatever. Okay, off my soapbox. The number 10 team in the country is USC. Uh, it looks like it might be a three-horse race there for the Pac-12 between Oregon, USC, and UCLA, who is number 12 in the country. Number the 10, number, there's two teams that are tied for 10th, USC and Wake Forest, okay? And uh, Wake Forest looks good. Uh, they look like, you know, uh, a good solid team. Their only loss was to Clemson. Number 12, UCLA. I mentioned they lost to Oregon, but they are in that three-horse race with USC for the Pac-12 title. Number 13 is Penn State. They got a home game against Ohio State this week. That's a big one. Number 14, Utah. They're 5-2. and two. Number 15, Ole Miss. Uh, they're down eight spots after getting walloped by LSU this past weekend. Uh, biggest fallers in the in the rankings number 16 Syracuse they only moved down two spots because of that last second loss to Clemson again Clemson should have never gotten that close with Syracuse but Syracuse proved that they're good I keep I keep saying you know they need to prove it they just did uh that took Clemson down to the wire wouldn't be surprised if Syracuse beat Notre Dame this week that's who they play Number 17 is Illinois. Uh, they're 6-1. and one. Another surprising Big Ten team. Big Ten's been really down this year, but Illinois has certainly been a bright spot for them. Number 18 is LSU. Uh, they are 6-2. and two. They just beat the brakes off of Ole Miss this week. Got a big one at home against Alabama on Saturday night, primetime. Number 19, Kentucky. They're 5-2. and two. Got a big one against Tennessee. They got to go to Knoxville this weekend. That's not an easy task. Just ask Alabama about that. So we'll see what Kentucky's made of there this weekend. Number 20, Cincinnati. Uh, number 21, North Carolina. Number 22, Kansas State. They lost to TCU. They dropped down five spots, but they get... A chance to redeem themselves with a ranked win against Oklahoma State this week. All right, that game is in uh, in Manhattan, Kansas, so it's a home game against uh, the Cowboys. Number twenty three, Tulane Green Wave. All right, they're seven and one, moved up two spots. Another win this weekend. Uh, can't tell you anything about Tulane other than they they are in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, and they're seven and one, so uh, keep an eye on that. They play Tulsa this week. Number twenty-four is North Carolina State. Number twenty-five, South Carolina. South Carolina's uh, making an entrance into these rankings here. They uh, just again annihilated Texas A&M, embarrassed them, humiliated them, whatever you want to call it, uh, which jumped them up into the rankings. So. Again, that SEC, there's just carnage everywhere. And um, again, just this foot, you know, college football just brings us something new every week. We do have four ranked games this week here in week nine. I mentioned them already, but I'll just run through them again. 
Number two, Ohio State plays number 13, Penn State. Uh, Number three, Tennessee plays number 19, Kentucky. Number six, Alabama plays number 18, LSU. And number nine, Oklahoma State plays number 22, Kansas State. So those are all four very good games, you know, and um, you could really pick either team to win either of those games and you wouldn't be surprised, right? And so another exciting week of college football. We'll dive into how all that went down next week. And again, just to uh, reiterate, next week we'll discuss the college football playoff rankings since those rankings will be officially released uh, for the first time this season next week. But move over to the National Hockey League, just do a very brief standings update. Uh, in the NHL, most teams have only played between six and eight games, so we're still very, very early. No need to spend an outrageous amount of time on this. The Eastern Conference Metropolitan Division, Carolina Hurricanes are 4-1-1. One, and one. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins 4-2 and 1, Philadelphia Flyers 4 and 2, Washington Capitals 4 and 3, so too are the New Jersey Devils. The New York Rangers are 3-3 three, three and 2, a little bit of a disappointment thus far uh, after making it uh, pretty far in the Eastern Conference playoffs. New York Islanders are 3 and 4 and then the Columbus Blue Jackets are 8 uh, 3 and 5 rather, 8 games played, 3 and 5 over in the Atlantic Division. The Boston Bruins are 6-1, and one, all right? They uh, are the best team uh, in the NHL based on record, okay, uh, and games played. They've, they've looked really good. They um, are scored a lot of goals. They have 30 goals, four, which, you know, is right up there in the league leads for goals four so far. So they're, they're putting the puck in and... You know, looking pretty good so far. Florida Panthers are 4-2-1. and one. They placed defenseman Aaron Ekblad uh, on long-term IR with a groin injury. Uh, for the NHL, long-term IR player means, uh, basically means a player must miss at least 10, 10 games in 24 days. So uh, we're about a week into that. So Florida had 11 games in that time frame from when he got activated on IR. So... Uh, yeah, we shouldn't see Aaron Eckblad for probably the next uh, three weeks or so, two and a half weeks. The Ottawa Senators are four and two. The Buffalo Sabers are also four and two. Interesting fact about Buffalo: their defenseman Rasmus Dahlin, assistant captain, uh, one of the better young defensemen in the NHL, he became the first defenseman in NHL history to score a goal in five straight games to start the season. So that's very impressive stuff there from Dahlin. The Detroit Red Wings are 3-1-2. and two. They've looked pretty good. Uh, it took them five or six games, rather, to lose a game in regulation. They didn't lose that regulation game until their sixth game, which was the farthest into the season since uh, uh, 2012, I think, that Detroit has done that. The Toronto Maple Leafs, 4-3. Tampa Bay Lightning, 3-4. Montreal Canadiens, Three and four. You would expect to see Montreal at the bottom of the Atlantic, but you would not expect to see Toronto and Tampa. Those teams, that division is really looking tough so far this year. And Toronto and Tampa have not looked good. But over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, my Dallas Stars are four, two, and one. 
they have looked really good. Uh, the, they went 4-0-1 uh, to start. Had a couple of snags on the uh, last two games of the road trip earlier this week. Looking to get back on track at home. They've had a lot of away games. They've actually played five out of their seven games away. So hopefully they can get back on track on home ice, which they do um, later this week. But the Stars have looked good. Uh, I'm impressed. Goal scoring was an issue last year. Uh, It doesn't appear to be so far this year, Um, although the last couple games were kind of low scoring. But, you know, I'm not holding my breath yet. You know, with the Stars, they usually have a a solid two- to three-week collapse in the middle of the season. So if we can avoid that, I think the Stars will be good. But nonetheless, they have looked very good so far. Colorado Avalanche are also 4-2-1. Chicago Blackhawks are 4-2. St. Louis Blues, well, let me back up to Colorado. Their captain, Gabriel Landeskog, he's going to miss 12 weeks after undergoing knee surgery. So that'll put him back sometime in January. Key piece to that Colorado lineup, obviously, that's going to be out, but they're still tied with Dallas atop the uh, Central Division. Then they have Chicago, St. Louis, like I mentioned, are 3-2. Winnipeg Jets, 3-3. Minnesota Wild, 2-3-1. Nashville Predators, uh, 2-4-1, and then the Arizona Coyotes, 2-4. Over in the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights, they're 6-2, tied with Boston for the most points in the league at 12 points in the standings. Uh, Phil Kessel for the Vegas Golden Knights. He broke Keith Yandel's NHL record for the most consecutive games played at 990. The 989 was the record. He played in his 990th consecutive game this past week, which is super impressive to not miss a game in almost 1,000. And in that game, he also scored his 400th career goal. So pretty cool for Phil Kessel. Calgary Flames are 5-1. They're looking pretty good right where they left off, right? They were pretty, uh, pretty good last year in the playoffs and whatnot. Edmonton Oilers, 4-3. The Seattle Kraken have looked really good through eight games. They're 3-3-2. Three, three, and two. Uh, I love Seattle. I talked about them all last year. I don't know if they're quite a playoff team this early in the season. Well, it's hard to see, you know, kind of figure where everything's at. But um, they're playing really well. They, they did a lot in the offseason to improve the roster, so they're looking good. Los Angeles Kings, 4-4. Four and four. San Jose Sharks, just a putrid 2-7. and seven. Uh, They have played the most games in the league at this particular moment. They had those two games in the Czech Republic to open the season. Uh, They actually started, I think they started like 0-5 or 0-6. It was just ugly. Uh, Anaheim Ducks are 1-4-1. And and then the Vancouver Canucks, 0-5-2. They have yet to win a game. Tough sledding there in Vancouver. I mentioned in their first four games, they had multiple goal leads in each of those first four games and ended up losing. So uh, not sure what's happening there in Vancouver, but those are your standings for the NHL. Like I said, really brief. We're not not going to spend a lot of time on it. We're still super early into the season, and uh, we'll get you caught up pretty much every week and, and how the standings are at least looking uh, with some news along the way. But we'll move over to the NBA real quick. Uh, NBA regular season has officially started. It started right around when the last episode was released last week. Teams have only played three or four games. Some teams have played five. 
but uh, even fewer than the NHL. So we're not going to really go through a standings update on this episode just for time purposes. We've already covered a whole lot. So just some highlights real quick in the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee Bucks are the only undefeated team in the Eastern Conference at the moment at 3-0. Boston and Atlanta are right behind them, 3-1. Surprising things in the East, Brooklyn Nets and the Miami Heat. Both one and three. Philadelphia 76ers are one and four. You know, those are all teams that we expect to be in the playoffs, and they're not off to a great start. And the Orlando Magic at 0 and 5 are currently leading the Victor Wembenyama sweepstakes. And if you don't know who Victor Wembenyama is, he is a once in a generational prospect that is 18 year old kid, projected to be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft next summer. So uh, whoever wins the lottery this year is likely going to draft him. And uh, the Orlando Magic are off to a great start in terms of landing Mr. Wembenyama. Over in the Western Conference, the only undefeated team there is the Portland Trailblazers, oddly enough. Uh, Other teams that you expect to see up there, Phoenix and New Orleans, the Pelicans and the Utah Jazz, they're all three and one, although the Jazz were kind of projected to be a bad team this year after trading away Donovan Mitchell, but they've played really well. Memphis Grizzlies, thanks to John Morant, they're 3-1. and one. Another team that had been rumored in those uh, sweepstakes for Wembenyama, the San Antonio Spurs, they're 3-2, and two, so they're right in the mix. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, Denver Nuggets, and Los Angeles Clippers are all 2-2. Two and two. Uh, All of those teams, again, you would expect to be in or near the playoffs. Disappointment so far, my Dallas Mavericks are 1-2. And and then uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are 0-3 right now. Um, Is it time to panic yet in Los Angeles? I don't know. But uh, the Kings, the Lakers, Sacramento Kings, Los Angeles Lakers, and Orlando Magic are the only three teams in the league not to win a game so far. But... Uh, Of course, the Lakers have LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. You know, I I don't know what's going on. They had trouble winning last year. That seems to have carried over. But season's very young. You know, we might just kind of switch to this version of a standings update, um, you know, for the beginning parts of the season. Same thing maybe over in the NHL too. But And we'll bring you some news along the way. But, again, didn't want to spend too much time on the NBA. It's more or less just a – Uh, just to kind of let you know the season started and kind of some things that have already happened. But we'll move over to the segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. And real brief note in the National Football League, I didn't mention this during the NFL segment, but uh, the NFL trade deadline is quickly approaching. It's next Tuesday, November 1st. All right, so we're going to see a whole lot more trades between now and then. I already discussed some of the the bigger ones that went down, but I did not mention this one. The Philadelphia Eagles, they went out and they traded the Chicago Bears. So Philly acquired defensive end Robert Quinn, pro bowler, and all they gave to Chicago was a fourth-round pick. All right, The Eagles, it's like the rich getting richer. Eagles are undefeated right now, one of the best teams in the league, and they go and give a fourth-round pick for Robert Quinn. Okay, That just seems kind of unfair. Uh, the Eagles have done really – Howie Roseman, the GM, has is, is really done well with that team. 
they actually have two first-round picks in April's draft, if you can believe that. So there's a chance that Philly could win the Super Bowl this year and still have two first-round picks. So uh, figure that one out. I hate that as a Cowboys fan, uh, but that's the only NFL note. Major League Baseball, we had a trio of teams hire some new managers this past week. Starting off with my Texas Rangers. They have hired Bruce Bochy to be their new manager. That's If you've recognized that name, there's good reason. He uh, becomes the 20th manager in Texas Rangers history, and he just brings an absolute boatload of experience down here to Texas. He's been a manager for 25 years has over 2,000 career wins. He's a three-time World Series champion there with the San Francisco Giants, and he has won the Manager of the Year Award once. And uh, I read an article that basically said that Bruce Bochy was super stoked to see the Texas Rangers' current roster, the stars that they have, uh, and the elite pitching prospects in the farm system. Uh, All of that was made, made a... Bruce Bochy decide, you know, Texas was the place for him. He's got the experience. And I think, I'm going to say this now, I think Texas Rangers get back into the playoffs uh, in the next two seasons, all right? And uh, there's a chance they could make some noise if their pitching develops uh, quickly, all right? I I, I think they're going to make a lot of noise in the offseason with free agents again. But We'll see. Uh, it's a good a good managerial hire for the Texas Rangers. I am certainly on board with that one. The Toronto Blue Jays were the second team to hire a new manager. They named John Schneider their new manager. Three-year contract is what they gave him. Schneider becomes the 14th manager in Toronto Blue Jays history, and he actually got drafted and played all of his MLB career in the Toronto Blue Jays farm system. So uh, if you recall, though, uh, John Schneider actually took over for the Blue Jays in July when Charlie Montoyo, their other manager, was fired. It was right right at the All Star break. Um, Schneider led the Blue Jays into the play. They were they were out of the playoff mix at the All Star break when Montoyo took over or when Montoyo got fired. Schneider took over and got them into the playoffs, but of course they um, did not advance out of the wild card round. Uh, but I guess it's a good hire for Toronto based on what we saw the last half of this past season. Then the final team to hire a new manager was the Miami Marlins, right? They have hired Skip Shoemaker as their new manager. Now, oddly enough, Shoemaker is the 16th manager in Miami Marlins history, but this is his very first managerial job. Shoemaker spent 11 seasons in Major League Baseball as a player, Uh, Most of those were actually with St. Louis. He spent this past year uh, as the Cardinals bench coach, and then the prior four seasons to that, he was an assistant coach with the San Diego Padres. So interesting hire for the Marlins. They have a young team, um, you know, a couple really good players, uh, but they hired somebody who's never been a manager before. So um, not really sure what their... um, Thought processes on that, but nonetheless, we'll see how it goes. I mean, Miami's always, they've been camped out near last place in that division for a while. So, you know, the only way to go kind of is is upward. But we'll move over to the PGA Tour, which is the last uh, piece of news here and around the island. Cameron Young, he was named the 2022 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. 
He earned uh, five runner-up finishes this year. He ended up getting to 19th in the FedEx Cup standings. Of course, if you recall, just about a month or so ago, a little over a month ago, he was on the U.S. President's Cup team as a uh, captain's pick. And uh, he just played uh, phenomenal golf. He was right up there at the Open Championship at St. Andrews, almost won that thing. And um, he just was showed really good poise all year, could hit the ball an absolute mile. And uh, he, he won this award, actually, with 94% of the membership vote over Sahith Thigala and Tom Kim. Now, keep in mind, this award was for performance all of last season. If the award had been voted for performance in the last two months, Tom Kim would have had 94% of the vote. But it was for the entirety of last year. So that, uh, that means that Cameron Young was the easy choice there. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a really, I'm excited to watch him. I I can see Cameron Young competing for a major championship this year. Um, some other PGA tour news, PGA tour announced that four additional events have been added with, uh, elevated purses. If you recall, there's a, you know, the whole rivalry between LIV golf tour and, and the PGA tour with, people jumping ship over to the LIV tour because it pays out more money. Well, the PGA added four more events with elevated purses. All right. Those events are the Waste Management Phoenix Open, the RBC Heritage, the Wells Fargo Championship, the Travelers Championship. And each of those four events will have a $20 million purse to join the other previously announced events that have um, higher purses. This Commissioner Jay Monahan has already come out and said that there's going to be a lot of events this year that have higher purses, meaning more money, more money won to try and compete with LIV to keep the PGA Tour players on the PGA Tour. So all in all, the tournaments that have elevated purses next year, more money, of course you have your four major championships. We know what those are. Your three FedEx Cup playoff events. Uh, which would be the FedEx St. Jude Championship, the BMW Championship, and the Tour Championship. Three player-hosted events, which would be the Genesis Invitational, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and the Memorial Tournament. The Century Tournament of Champions, and then the World Golf Championship Dell Technologies Match Play. So those will be all the tournaments that have uh, higher winnings. Uh, So that's quite a bit. I think that's 11 tournaments in total that are going to have purses uh, north of $20 million. So that's pretty good. Uh, I would say that's certainly going to be competitive enough to keep that, uh, you know, at least in the in the same ballpark as LIV. But uh, keep an eye on that. So that's just something of note there on the PGA Tour. And then I do want to close the Around the Island segment with uh, this random fact. And basically last week, October 20th, which was uh, last Thursday, I believe, that was the 27th sports equinox in history. Now, basically, sports equinoxes, they had all four major pro sports leagues playing that night, plus the Major League Soccer and the PGA Tour. So on that day, last Thursday, we had all four major pro sports, NHL, NBA, NFL, and MLB, and then we had some Major League Soccer and PGA Tour golf all on Thursday, all right? Like, it was Thursday night football, ALCS game two. We had 12 NHL games. 
two major league soccer games and one the first round of the CJ Cup. All of that took place on Thursday. It was the 27th time in history we've had a sports equinox. So I just thought I would throw that random bit of information at you. But uh, that is going to wrap up the uh, 96th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. We got plenty going on this weekend. Uh, nothing really doing on the PGA Tour, but certainly a lot of uh, college football, NFL football. That's always good for excitement. And then uh, World Series is starting here in Major League Baseball, so that'll be on. I'll be tuning into that. And then, of course, National Hockey League and the NBA are off and running with their regular season. So plenty to watch, plenty to go over, and uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.